Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorja, and welcome to season two of IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is actor Joel Kinnaman. You may know Joel as Takeshi Kovacs in Altered Carbon or Rick Flagg in Suicide Squad, but he'll speak to me today about his role as Edward Baldwin in Apple TV Plus's For All Mankind. Joel and I talk about his 80s shoulder pads in For All Mankind Season 2, his interest in directing a film in the future, and the three movies that changed his life. Once again, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to give us a star rating and leave a review because every single one counts. Thanks again for listening. Here's Movies That Changed My Life with Joel Kinnaman. Joel, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I got a chance to watch a bit of season two of For All Mankind, and it picks up in such an awesome way. But before we get to that, how's it going today? Uh, they're going good. Been uh, been talking, uh, yapping away. A little bit tired on my own voice, but uh, you know, we're, we're I still got a little bit in the tank. So <laughs> that's good. So we're going to chat about For All Mankind Season 2 in just a little bit, but let's kick off the show by talking about the three movies that changed your life. Let's kick it off with the 1976 classic Taxi Driver. It has an 8.3 out of 10 with 725,000 ratings on IMDb, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Schrader, starring Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster, and Sybil Shepard. Um, so talk to us, uh, when was the first time you watched Taxi Driver and, uh, what was your initial reactions to it? I, I think I'd seen it when I was a little bit younger, you know, when I was, uh, uh, you know, 17, 18, something like that. Um, and didn't really, you know, liked it, but didn't sort of see the great, like, I think it had less action in it than I was hoping. And then, and then I... I, I revisited it when I had started to, uh become an actor and then and then when I was paying attention to it in a different way and was just mesmerized by De Niro's performance and 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 how the you know how they told the story of this character and uh it it was just uh there was just so many colors there and then he was you know he was such a scary psychotic dude um but you were there with him at every step of the way and and it was 
Um, and I just started thinking like how fun it would be to play a character like that and to, to have that concentration of a filmmaker to, to tell the story of a character in that way. It, it, it was just, it, it was, it became like a, a shining light of what I want to do with my life. Yeah, so many people talk about getting inspiration from De Niro's performance in Taxi Driver. You know, they always talk about the you talking to me scene as that's one of the most iconic scenes in the film, but also just like in film history. So uh, I'm wondering, are there any other scenes in Taxi Driver that stand out to you as an actor? Uh, that's something that inspires you or makes you want to, you know, push harder in your performances? Yeah, I, I love the scene when, you know, at the, when they're at the cafe and, and he's, uh, he's talking to Jodie Foster and... Um, and also the way that they prepared for that scene is, is something that I, uh, I stole that way of working whenever I work with kids. Um, so what, what, uh, what De Niro did, he, 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 he just started rehearsing with her over and over and over again in different locations. He would just take her, uh, you know, walking and going for a drive and they would just like run the scene over and over again. And so she knew the scene by heart inside out and then he would start the scene and then start improvising you know taking in something that was happening if a waiter came in if they sat at a cafe or you know and and then he would go back to the scene so what he did was he sort of taught her how to improvise in that and um and i think that a lot of actors they have this misconception and they think that you know you improvise uh, out of necessity if you, because you haven't prepared enough or, or it's a way to, to, you know, give a good performance, even though you don't, you haven't prepared enough. Uh, and I, it, to me, it's the complete opposite. You, you, you go in and overly prepare and it gives you the freedom to improvise because you all, because you know, the scene so well, you know, the lines inside out. So, uh, and when you do that, it, you can, you can divert and you can, you have the complete freedom to, uh, to incorporate whatever the environment around you, the people around you, any mistake that happens, you can completely incorporate that uh, and then have the, f the freedom and the knowledge to just uh, immediately go back into the scene and the narrative of the scene. And then it becomes usable. And um, so, so, so I, I stole that way of working. And uh, I, 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 whenever I work with kids um, and even with, you know, I haven't done that in the U.S., but... Uh, before I moved from Sweden, I did a couple of movies where uh, we work with amateurs and uh, and you just, you know, but people come kind of come in playing themselves. You know, you have like a, a Yugoslavian gangster, you know, just he's just himself. He doesn't know anything about acting. He knows how to be himself. Um, and then and then, you you know, you I would rehearse in the same way uh, with an actor like that. So also sort of teach them how to improvise and uh, um, and it's 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 pretty effective. I mean, that's fascinating and not that surprising to me uh, because I see the quiet anger that De Niro has in Taxi Driver a lot in your own work. Um, and so when I saw that you had Taxi Driver on your list, it all just like made complete sense to me. And, and what he does so well often is, uh, you know, he finds the contrast of the character. You know, he's, he's not playing the psycho. He's not playing the psycho. He's playing the guy that is like desperately trying to connect. And, um, and you know, and that, of course, the, the writing uh, really serves that. But it's... Um, and I did the same thing on stage when I played Raskolnikov. Uh, you know, it, it's you, you don't play uh, a guy that is, uh, you know, that, that is about to become schizophrenic and, and you know, and is crazy. You're playing a guy that's, guy that's like really just trying to keep it together and trying to connect with people. And, and then, you know, 
because of how his mind is wired and because of the results of his actions, is not really able to. But it's the struggle to try to be nice, to try to be kind and connect and then not being able to. That's what makes it uh, interesting and, 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 a, and a, you know, good performance. Yeah. Last question on Taxi Driver. Do you think the ending is a fantasy or do you think that is what actually happened? You know, I, I think it, I think it's what really happened. Um and then I think, uh, you know, sometimes the, the story of, a, of an artwork can sometimes uh, be more fantastic than the actual artwork. And, and I think that, you know, that that that, that would in some way be his uh, his, you know, dying dream or whatever. Um, I think that's a, but that that's that's what art is. We, we it's it's a it's something that that melds with our imagination. And then and then we. As a viewer, we create something as well. We're a co-creator of the art that we are presented with, and uh, so that you know, that's there. There is no answer to that. There is no correct or incorrect answer to that. It it is what we feel as a viewer, as a you know, as a participant in that artwork. Perfectly said. So before we go to your next two movies, let's uh, spend some time to chat a little bit about For All Mankind Season 2. So something that struck me about the Season 1 finale of the show is that in the post credit scene, uh, when we get to see the dragon fly out of the water, the song Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears plays over it. And so for a show that is so firmly set in the 60s, you know, the clothes, the music, the design, then out of nowhere comes this classic 80s song. Uh, you know, at the time, I didn't really think much of it. But now that we've learned season two starts in the 80s, in retrospect, that was actually such a great teaser. So what can you tell us about what happens in between the 10, 13 year time jump for your character and the rest of the show? Yeah. So, you know, the, the show starts out uh, in the late 60s and, and you know, right in the, in the, in the, the height of the, the space race to the moon. And, um, and then, you know, this alternate timeline is created and and. Uh, and our journey on this show begins in this uh, alternate history, and uh, and at the end of it, you know, we have we have bases on the moon, and uh, and the Soviets has bases on the moon, and the Cold War is slowly seeping into the space arena. Um, and even though you know there's new technology that is sort of being developed, the you know in our show, technology the innovation uh, starts to ramp up. But we're still pretty closely tied to, you know, the, 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 the real history. When we jump 10 years uh, further and now we're in the, new, the middle of the new 80s, then these alternate timelines have really started or, or our alternate timelines really starts to diverge from real history. And, and we can see the results of this, you know, the, the much more rampant pace, pace of innovation. We have new technology. We have technology in the mid 80s that we otherwise didn't see until like the 2000s and um you also get a nice sweater wardrobe and a sweater upgrades throughout the <laughs> 80s as well yeah. yes yes indeed it's uh the the fashion uh, the fashion of ed baldwin is is something that you know should should always be left in the 80s <laughs> no matter what you know what timeline you're on uh yeah. <laughs> those shoulder pads you know they're uh the, they look they look really particularly good on me because I got pretty wide shoulders. So you know, you put some shoulder pads on there, it, it's it's <laughs> profound. It's a profound experience for the viewer. That is true. <laughs> Something else that's profound in the show is that your character has so many intense moments throughout uh, season one. But then we pick up in the beginning of season two, and we see that you're now stuck in an office. You're practicing putting while watching news in the bar. 
So what was that like for you as an actor to have such a shift um, in character? Yeah, so, you know, in the end of the first season, the, the, the Baldwin family goes through this, you know, what would for most be the ultimate uh, tragedy of a family and, and for a father. And, and, and not just do they go through this ultimate tragedy, he's, uh, he's stuck on the moon alone while it happens and he can't be there for for his wife and um so i think what what we discover in the beginning when we come back in in, in, the, in the beginning of the second season is that he has made some sacrifices he had made he's made a, a vow to his family that if something were ever to happen again he'd be damn sure to be there and um and this has had the result of, of also finding some kind of inner peace and uh and 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 it seems to be some some kind of happiness. And of course, you know, he. It's not like those wounds aren't com- absolutely prevalent. They're they're there. They're just not on the surface. And I really liked the the writing and and the way that they described how these ten years have passed and 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 how the pain, of course, is right there always, but you just can't see it. And then, and then it comes out in ways that you just didn't expect. And I just think that's how life is. It's, it, it, it doesn't always play out as an ABC. It, 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 life um, and, and, and people and their reactions, they, they don't always follow the roadmap. Yeah. Um, the unspoken pain of you and your family and you know things not following the roadmap are definitely things fans could look forward to throughout season two of For All Mankind, which is coming to Apple TV Plus on February 19th. And uh, if you haven't seen it yet, definitely go back and check it out now. Come for the space and stay for the uh, intense family drama and incredible character development. I love that. I love I love the way you put that. That was very nice. <laughs> well, I'm glad. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Let's move on to your second film, which happens to be one of my favorite films, 1995's Lan. Um, it has an 8.1 out of 10 with 150,000 ratings on IMDb, written and directed by Matthew Kasovitz, starring Vincent Cassell, Hubert Kund, and Saeed Tagmawi. Uh, the film follows three friends over the course of 24 hours following a riot in the suburbs of Paris. Like I said, I love this movie, um, so please talk to us about Lan. Yeah, so I saw this sort of in the same period, you know, it, it, it was, uh, no, yeah, it was... It was also something I think I'd, I'd seen briefly, but then I really like dove into it while I was in acting school. So I was probably around like 20, 21, 
Yeah, it's it's a, it's a beautiful movie. It, it, it actually like the Swedish title is is like while we're falling. And I think the Swedish title is actually in Swedish it sounds uh, really beautiful too. It's actually a better title than the original title because <laughs> uh, it, it references one of the characters' speech. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very relevant now actually because it, it starts the the uh, the movie starts the the day after a, a, a racially incited riot in one of the suburbs in uh, um, in, in in Paris outside of Paris, and um, and it's about these three guys. Uh, there's you know there's this gun that's been lost. A, a cop has lost a gun, and uh, and it's a big thing in a European country where we don't have three hundred million guns. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's just it is one of these kind of films where you know you have a couple of actors you know like Vincent Cassel he was you know an up and coming actor in, in France uh, and then the absolute majority of people are just playing themselves um, but Matthew Kathswitz and and the, and the photographer like the photography in this movie is also incredible like the movie's in black and white but it's in no way shape or form. Uh, dull or, or dry it just it is it is an artistic masterpiece i feel like it's like an urban urban masterpiece and um and for a long time it was like sort of the dream to do something like this uh to, to be a part of a movie like this i think uh the closest i came to was uh was uh, snabakash easy money a swedish film that i did in 2009 uh which sort of had the same you know we we mixed a lot of amateurs and uh, uh and and, and professionals in there but you know it's uh it, it's, it's that's a much more you know film with a, a straighter narrative but um but it, it's a film i just became obsessed with i've probably seen it you know 25 30 times wow. and uh, uh and i i was obsessed with the way that they worked on that film as well they they just lived out there in this suburb in france and just immersed themselves with it and uh yeah i mean it took matthew kasovitz to uh, uh to extreme heights and then I don't know what happened to him, but uh, but he made this film and, you know, it'll forever be in film history. Agreed. Um, I mean, everything about the movie is incredible. The way Kasovitz captures the lives of, the, of these three young men is like just unbelievable. Um, so I know you spent a lot of time when you were younger, uh, you spent a lot of time traveling the world. You lived in different parts of Europe. Uh, South America, here in the United States. So I'm actually curious, um, do you have a connection to this film because you've gotten to meet so many different people from different walks of life, different parts of the world? And when you watch this movie, you sort of see people and you're like, oh, like, I, I know this guy. No, it's, it's a very European story. So so it's not so much, um, it's not so much uh, something that I felt connected to uh, from my travels, but more sort of from growing up in Sweden. And like, I, I grew up uh, on the south side of Stockholm, which was, you know, somewhat working class when I grew up. But um, it, it wasn't like, you know, in the, the suburbs, like in, in the Swedish hoods. Or, and, um, and, and, you know, we have all over Europe, you have the same kind of dynamic in with different kind of volume of, of the problem or, you know, different kind of uh, intensity of the problem of, uh, you know, immigrant uh, populations being sort of shut out of the rest of society and, uh, and creating uh, this sort of tension between, um, uh, between immigrants and, and native borns. And, and I grew up um, going to school with, because my dad was uh, American, I grew up uh, with, it was a public school, but with the education was in English. All my classmates were from all over the world, like from, you know, from Africa and from India and from, so 
I grew up with uh, with immigrants, um, and when we played soccer in, during the, the breaks in school, it was like us against the Swedes. So I spent a lot of time out in in a lot of different uh, suburbs, and like a lot of my groups of friends, my group of friends were from the, the suburbs. So uh, so when I saw this film, it, it really connected to what I was seeing on a on a day to day. Even though in France it was much more intense. Um, but but you know we had these kind of riots uh, in Sweden, very similar. Um, just like uh, what was it now? Like maybe five years ago. Yeah, and that just highlights how eerily relevant the film is. I mean, you could have made this film last year, two years yeah. ago, and it still makes sense. Which I mean, honestly, is is quite sad. Um, but it really is a beautiful film, and if you haven't seen it before, I highly recommend everyone go watch it. Yeah, you should definitely go see it. I think it's called Hate in English, right? Yeah, yeah, The Hate. Yeah, The Hate, yeah. All right, now let's go to your last pick, which is 1996's Pusher. It has a 7.4 out of 10 with 35,000 ratings on IMDb, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn and written by Jens Dahl and Nicholas Winding Refn, starring Kim Bodnia, uh, Zlato Burek, Laura Dreisbik, and Mads Mikkelsen. This was Refn's first film, and people probably know that name now from Drive and Neon Demon, um, but talk to us about Pusher. Yeah, so this film sort of showed us in, in Sweden that, like, oh, wow, we can make gangster movies. Like, we should be able to make gangster movies, too, because um, up until this point, um, we had not seen the, the sort of underworld or criminal society in in Scandinavia portrayed in any kind of realistic shape. It was, it was the people that made the films uh, about this. It was always from like the cops perspective and, and it was always uh, super hokey. Uh, the criminals were always portrayed as hokey and it wasn't based in reality at all. So either it was like pretty hokey or pretty racist. Um, and, and when Pusher came out, it just, you just, it was like, it was just being blasted into reality. And, um, and, and in a way with that just had such an intensity and style and and it had like this coolness to it but it wasn't try trying to be cool it was just um it, it was it was just an, an an intensity to it to the performances to the photography it sort of came off the heels of Lars von Trier's dogma movement and um so it had that, you know, this was definitely not a dogma movie, but but it sort of had that handheld, very, you know, a lot of it shot with uh, existing light. And, you know, you don't, you don't really pay attention to, you know, you're, it's very documentary in, in its way. I'm, I'm still like, I still like those kind of movies. Um, I, I, to me, that's never gone out of style. And um, uh, yeah, and, and just the performances were, were just so on point and the world that was described just felt so realistic and and complex uh, so i was completely blown away by it i actually love the second and third it's a trilogy and and the pusher the second uh the second one focuses on uh, matt mickelson's character uh it might be my favorite actually uh, um but it's really hard to pick um and and the third one uh, is very gruesome um it, it focuses on uh slatko uh character you know slatko they're all phenomenal actors, you know, top, top shelf European actors. And, and in these roles, it's just a joy to watch. I've seen them, you know, uh, dozens of times, each of them. And uh, 
it really made us. Uh, I don't think that our movie uh, Snava Cash would have been made or looked like it would if it hadn't been for uh, for Pusher. It, it definitely made us understand that. Oh, we can do this too. Yeah, I love hearing that. Uh, when indie movies inspire young actors and directors just to make more films. Yeah, uh, you know, it's really like a cyclical nature of inspiration. Like I'm sure Refn yeah. saw something that inspired him to make Pusher and then it inspired you. So just keeping people, you know, making more and more interesting, unique pieces of film. Uh, but I actually haven't seen the rest of the trilogy, so I need to go back and watch that. Oh, you got to see it. You got to see it. Yeah. So it's funny. I mean, the way you speak about these movies and how you speak about the craft, it seems like uh, you should be a director. Like, I'm surprised I haven't seen a director's credit on your IMDb page yet. <laughs> uh, has that crossed your mind? It has. It has. I think for the past 15 years, I've said, uh, yeah, in five years. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> or at least the last 10 years. I, I probably will direct at some point. I'm, uh, I become more and more uh, intrigued by, you know, by, by the behind the scenes. And, uh, and I think I gain more and more understanding. And, and you, you're in such a, a privileged position as an actor because you get to work with all these fantastic directors. So you you get to see different ways of working, different time, types of leadership. And um, it's something that takes so much time. So, uh, it, uh, and I love acting. I really love, I, I, I enjoy it so much. And, uh, and I'm, I feel like I'm just hitting my stride uh, as an actor. So Yeah, I am not encouraging you to quit acting. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. Let the record show that I'm not asking him to do that, please. No. <laughs> I, think, I think in my future, there, there will definitely be, uh, um, there's definitely... Something I will want to do, but, but yeah, we'll, we'll see when. Well, I'll be sure to uh, keep an eye out for that. So final question here. We have Taxi Driver, Lan, and Pusher. Do you see a through line between the three films uh, as to why you want to chat about these today? I mean, yeah, they, they all kind of deal with, you know, dark, messed up masculinity and, uh, and sort of in a realm, uh, a crime realm, um, I think it was my uh, it, it was my instep to, to acting in general. I, you know, I had a, a you know a, a, a period of my life from when I was you know thirteen to seventeen, sixteen, seventeen. When I you know even earlier, like maybe eleven, twelve to to to, to sixteen, seventeen, where I was uh, you know kind of in trouble and and uh, I spent a lot of time. Um, all my friends from that time period went on to become criminals at you know various levels of, uh, of success and um and that period there was so much um trauma and anxiety and manipulation and uh that th there was so much uh darkness connected uh, to that time in my life so uh, you know, there, there's something from that time that's almost in every role I do mm, um, at some at some level. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess I got to move on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But 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 yeah. So, you know, we find new things and, and you know, I find new things that, that inspire me. But but I think it, it, that was my way in and, and my way into the profession and and my interest into to film that it could, you know, portray these things that I felt like I'd seen and experienced in, in, in some shape or form. And, uh, and, and it really fueled my interest. And, and it also, um, the, the, the beautiful thing about acting for me, the, the, the thing that, that struck me, at, right when I got started that, that, you know, I could use these, 
traumatic, these kind of the, the, the worst experiences of my life, mm-hmm. they all of a sudden became an asset. And it was something that actually made me good. Mm. Um, and I became good because of I had had those experiences. Right. And um, and, th- and that made it, me understand that, you know, acting was was something that I a craft that I really wanted to pursue and and, uh, and it, it propelled me into it to go deeper. Well, perfect. Um, well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I really enjoyed your selections and I'm glad uh, you introduced me to Pusher. I'd never seen that before and I definitely want to see the rest of the trilogy now. Awesome, awesome. Uh, but once again, For All Mankind Season 2 is coming February 19th to Apple TV+. Plus. Um, again, come for the space and stay for the family drama and the amazing acting. Yeah, chef kiss, exactly. (laughs) Thank you again, and I appreciate hanging out with you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Ian. It was great talking to you. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on Joel and to easily add the movies that changed his life to your IMDb watch list.